second week of this four-week sermon series um, that I'm calling the elephant in the room. Um, it basically a, a situation or an issue that nobody really wants to talk about, um, but we need to talk about. And in the church, that happens to be money. Um, the reality is, and I, I have been you before I was going into ministry, nobody really likes it's not like the sermon series that you're just waiting on is the four-week sermon series where somebody preaches about money. Uh, but from a pastor's perspective, I don't like it either. Um, it's just one of those awkward things. But the reality is we need to talk about it. And here's what I want you to really hear. Not so that we just get more money in the church. Um, we need to talk about generosity because God is a generous God. And the goal of the church, the goal of each of us as Christians is, is to grow more in our Christ-likeness. So we should desire to want to be generous people because God is generous. And so we need to look at how do we grow in that likeness. And so for me, I think about talking about money is a way of helping us to, to become more Christ-like in the sense of generosity, uh, but it also helps us to live more freely um, with regards to financial freedom. Um, God doesn't call us to be bound to anything, and God came to free us. And so anything that we can talk about that gives us more freedom um, should be something that we should want to discuss. So what I want us to think about is how do we, last week we talked about having the, not having a divided heart, and I showed you all the, the Skittles illustration, if you remember that. I don't know how you would forget it, but if you, if you remember the Skittles illustration, um, that, that we all have to keep in mind that God is a, a God of infinite resources, and God is a God of unlimited supply. And so we, we have to keep first and foremost that in our mind. Uh, today I want us to think about how do we, really, how do we add money into our account? I, I, if I had never just looked at my bank account and just miraculously had money applied into my account. Um, not that they didn't take back. Uh, if, if it ever got there, I assure you they took it back. But So I want us to think first, let's go back and look at some of our biblical fathers, uh, or, or at least a Abraham. Let's look at what it says in Genesis 13, verse 2. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Very simple verse, but here's what I see. Is God's financial blessings come to us through established financial channels. It's a pipeline, if you will. I mean, think about electricity. How are we have lights in here today? We have lights because they run through the power lines and they come through an, an established channel. If you go to the bathroom, you'll be glad to know you can flush a toilet. You can turn on a sink. How do you do that? Because we have water that comes through the, the water pipelines. The, there's going to be some breakfast cooked downstairs. They're going to cook that on a stove. Gas is going to come through an established channel. Money comes through a pipeline. It comes through an, an established channel. When you, when you go and, and get your utility bills, you open up that utility bill, what's inside it? It's typically an envelope, right? And an envelope that has an address on it that be able to be able to send your payment back. Or it gives you an online website where you can go and pay your bill. Uh, that is an essentially a pipeline. They have created a way for you to be. If you have a job or if you are retired and you had a job, in essence, your job is a pipeline. Now, some people, they stop right there because what we do is we see the job and the job becomes God. See, that's why you have to start with the Skittles. You have to start with everything comes from God. Everything, 
in this earth is God's. You have to start there so that you understand your job is a gift. Your job is a gift from God. Because scripture is very clear that God is not just going to miraculously just put money in your bank account. But God does give you gifts. God does gift you with abilities. Look at what a passage says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 through 18. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So in essence, no one is self-made. No one makes it themselves. You start talking like that, and then all of a sudden you begin to forget that God is the one who gave you the gift. That God is the one who is the God of resources and the God of infinite. The word of God is designed to infuse his people with gifts and abilities that come from him. You've got to have a strategy to use your gifts and your abilities. No matter what your age is, you've got to have a strategy to be able to stay within your abilities for God to be able to use. I, I have always had somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, when I was little, my dad, we lived in Powder Springs, Georgia, which is about 20 miles northwest of Atlanta. And my dad, in, in 1972, opened up a small sporting goods retail store in downtown Powder Springs. And there wasn't a whole lot of things going on in, in, in downtown Powder Springs. And so uh, every day I would go to my dad's store. He had this little area or section back behind the, uh, the retail section where I could stay and, and, and spend the afternoons or during the summer I would spend all day down there. And he had, a, he had a Coke cooler in the back that he sold Cokes for a bottle for a quarter. And uh, so one day I decided that I was going to open up a Coke stand outside his store. And so I set up a little table and I took the Coke in a cup and for a quarter I would pour the Coke in your cup and sell you the quarter, the cup for a quarter. Well, a little bit of Coke was left in the bottle. What do you think I did with it? I drank it, absolutely. I figured out that I now had a way to get free Coke, um, that I had a Coke stand. So my aunt came out to me one day. She worked for my dad, and so my aunt came out, and she saw what I was doing, and she said, you're drinking your profit. And I thought, What's profit? I don't, I don't know about this. Um, and so she said, you're drinking your profit. If you would use two Coke bottles to fill three cups, now I have a strategy uh, that worked within my ability. I did that all summer long and made quite a bit of money, thanks to my aunt. Uh, but, that, but that is what, I mean, in, in reality, that's what God's word is designed to do. God told Joshua in chapter 1, verse 8, look at what it says in Joshua 1, 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. So meditation of God's word opens ourselves up to, ad- to avenues of strategies, to strategies for exchange. If you study the word of God, nobody ever won a victory without a strategy. Go and look at some of the, the great vi- no, Nobody ever won a victory without a strategy. Think about David and Goliath. Here's David, this little boy who is going to come up against this huge giant. How is he going to do that? David said, I'm going to kill the giant. How's he going to do that? Well, 
This made a whole lot more sense to me when I went over to the Holy Land. Do you know what you see when you go over to the Holy Land? Rocks. Everywhere. There's rocks. Now, I want you to think about what David did. David was a shepherd. Now, what did shepherds have a lot of? Time. A lot of times they're just sitting around watching the sheep. What's a little boy going to do with a lot of time and a lot of rocks? I'm, I'm serious. I mean, you take any little boy and probably any little girl, but you take any little boy and put him by a lake and put a little rocks beside him, and I promise you within five minutes he's going to start skipping the rocks. Somehow he's going to try to figure out how to start throwing the rocks. David started with all of these rocks and all of this time, David started learning how to use a slingshot. The Bible says that, 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 that people like David were so good at using the slingshot that they could shoot a rock at a hair off in a distance and not miss it. That's what the Bible tells us, how skilled they were. So here's David with this ability. He says, I'm going to cut the Goliath, I'm going to cut the giant's head off. How's David going to do that? He doesn't have a sword. Goliath has a sword. So David says, I'm going to use my rock to knock the giant down. While the giant's knocked down, I'm going to take his sword and I'm going to cut his head off. Now he's got a strategy. Every victory comes with a strategy. God's word gives us a strategy, but it will always complement our ability. It will always complement our ability. It won't go outside the ability. Think about what Saul wanted David to do. Saul wanted David to put on his armor, but it didn't fit David. It inhibited David. God will always use your abilities embedded in the strategy to accomplish the victory. What's your strategy? Go back and look at that passage in Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. Go look at who the active participant is. It's you. We have a part to play in this. We can't just sit back and just wait for all of this money to roll in. We have to be active participants. You and I have a part to play, and everybody has ability. We saw Vicky has an, has an ability and a gift to be able to, to play the piano. All of us have our unique capabilities. We gather together and try to plan worship Michael has different abilities than I do. Chad has different abilities than I do. I have different abilities than they do. We work together to try to help accomplish worship. We're all creative in different ways. We have to work within our ability. Every single one of you sitting here today has an ability. The problem is, is that we just always want somebody else's ability. We look at somebody else and we go, why don't we have what that is? And what God's word is trying to get us to do is to use the abilities that we have. Let me tell you, what I, if I looked at, money comes through a symbiotic exchange. It comes through an exchange. Look at what it says in, in Deuteronomy 25 verse 4. Again, a simple verse. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Well, this was a mill grinding the wheat, and the ox would walk in circle until... The corn would, would be made into a meal and that they could, they could sell it. But every once in a while, that ox would want to bend over and get a little wheat. In essence, what it's saying is, if you work, you deserve to get paid. If you, if you do your work, you'll, you'll be taken care of. 
there's nothing that doesn't come through an exchange. That's just how the world works. I was sharing, I get the privilege um, of sitting in, I guess, on the high school boys um, small group on Wednesday nights. And we were talking the other night, and, and somehow this came up, and I told them, I said, you know, one of the ways that I learn a lot about God is I learn about God through nature. I think, this, I think it's amazing some of the things that you can see and how God works in nature that can teach us about God. But think about this. Girl flowers and boy flowers, they can't pollinate each other. Um, the bee comes along to pollinate, but what's the bee get out of it? The bee gets the ability to, to make honey. There's a symbiotic exchange. Uh, trees, what do they need? They need carbon dioxide, but they don't want oxygen. We want oxygen, but we don't need carbon dioxide. God's created it where there's this symbiotic exchange. It's the way the world works. Why should we expect finances to be any different? Money works through a symbiotic exchange. And this is where it breaks down for most people. Most people, what we stop and we ask ourselves is we go, well, how do I get more money? Right? I think we're asking the wrong question. I think the question becomes, how do I meet a need that betters my fellow mankind? How do I meet a need that, that serves my fellow mankind. I think that begins to open up our idea to this symbiotic exchange. Latham, my oldest son, he came in. Well, he's my only son, but, he, but he's my oldest child. Uh, but Latham came into town Friday night. He had to uh, uh, fly out to Jacksonville. And so I had to take him to the airport and left me his car. And so I did what many of you probably would do as a dad with his son's car as I took it to somebody to work on it um, so that they could tune it up, get an oil change, do all those kind of things. Well, I don't have that ability. I know nothing about cars. And so I had to find a place that somebody would work. It, this person has the skill to be able to do it. It meets a need and service of fellow mankind. Um, that's a symbiotic exchange. Now, if you have that skill set or any gifts like that, you're able to use that to be able to better mankind. You may not make as much as the crook down the street, but the reality is if you do it with a way that follows Jesus Christ, I promise you people like me are going to flood to your door. And that's true for, for anything. We have to stop and ask a different question. The Bible never condemns fair exchange. Unfair exchange is greed. The Bible speaks a lot about that. But the Bible never condemns unfair exchange. And so what I want us to think about is avenues for exchange. How do we, how do we develop financial freedom? There's avenues for exchange. The Bible is very clear that we are paid for the quantity. The first exchange I would tell you is we're paid for the quantity of our work. Look at what it says in Proverbs 14, verse 23. It says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. In Proverbs 20, verse 4, it says, Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. In Proverbs 20, verse 13, Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. It's not saying that you can't ever sleep, and it's not saying that you've got to work 24 hours or 7 days a week, but it does say that, that you need to work, that you need to, to do your part. And if you do, you'll be taken care of. It doesn't mean that you're going to have just unloaded amount of money 
that you're going to be financially rich, but you're going to have your needs taken care of, the scripture says. What's your strategy? Now you stop and go, okay, well, I'm struggling. Working 50 hours a week, can barely keep my head above water. Well, there's a concept out there. It's called six-day job. See, we've bought into a culture that tells us that we're supposed to work five days a week and we should be sure and get our weekend off. But I think God works for six days. Uh, there's a concept out there called a six-day job. I know a guy who works five days a week, probably 50 hours a week uh, for the school system. And on Saturdays, he uses pressure washer and goes and cleans people's houses. He uses something within his ability to increase the quantity of his work. And he is compensated for the quantity of his work. You can do this in a variety of ways. You've got to look at what your ability is. These are things that even if you're retired and you go, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me. We can teach this to our children. We can teach this to our grandchildren because we bought into a culture that is binding us. The second way that I would tell you is not only we paid for the quantity of our work, we're paid for the quality of our work. I mean, think about this. Surgeons, very little room for error, right? Ron, you're having surgery on Tuesday. You want very little room for error, correct? Okay, we're going to pay for that, right? We're going to pay for, for quality, and, and there's ways to increase our quality. Go back to school. Earn an advanced degree, and you're, you increase the quality. Become a supervisor in your, in your job, and those increase the quality of your work. I, I, I tell young people, you don't have to, to graduate from college to, to be able to, to be successful, and there's probably many of you that, 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 that never went to college, but the reality that in our system, that does increase the quality, and so Many times you're compensated more for that. That's an avenue of an exchange. Look at what it says in Colossians 3. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, many people read this passage and we read it as an inheritance in heaven. And maybe that is what it's talking about. But what if it's just a promise that you will simply be blessed even if you're working for a crook? If you do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. Jacob in the Old Testament, if you think about him, he worked for a crook, didn't he? And it says when Jacob left the man who tried to cheat him out uh, of his money, he was still blessed because he did everything he could as if he was trying to do it for the Lord. So I believe in some ways this is a I promise it doesn't mean that your blessing is going to come with more money at payday. It just simply means you will be blessed. you got to trust God in his avenues of exchange. The third avenue that I would tell you is we're paid for the labor of those that we're responsible for. In this principle, you actually have a potential to, to profit to an even higher degree. And you'll be surprised to know that scripture endorses that. Look at what it says in Matthew. Matthew 25, 14, it says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So here's a guy who's expecting the people that he leaves his money with to make him some money. And then in verse 19, just a few verses later, it says this, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So he comes back and he tries to reconcile. What did you do with the tools that I left? He expected his employees to make a profit for him. 
We struggle with this sometimes, but here's the truth. If you're still working, we should, we should want our companies to make money. If you're still working, we should do everything we could for our companies to be profitable. In fact, the scripture, I can argue, says that we should be praying for our companies. We should be praying for our bosses. It says we should be praying for the authority, people in authority. And I realize that many times we look at that in light of this week and we move it to a political discussion, but we're not. Uh, we're going to keep it at employers. But the reality is we fight authority sometimes because our authority may be mean or we don't like our bosses because they're jerks or they're, they're, they're dishonest. And, and, and we say, but maybe you're there to bring your boss before God in prayer. Maybe you're there for a reason that somehow in the midst of your witness of what it means to be a follower of Christ, that this boss, this mean jerk or this dishonest person is somehow going to become a person of faith. Let me give you a rule. And this is a rule that you may not like, but it's a rule nonetheless. I mean, we may not like gravity, but if you jump off the bell tower you're going to have problems because it's a rule of gravity. So this is a rule. Privilege comes with responsibility. Think about the kids in our toddler, in our nursery. They, they didn't decide they wanted to be in the nursery. The parents put them there. They didn't decide what they wanted to wear. They didn't decide what snack went in their bag. They're just there. Why? Because they have no responsibility. Teenagers, all of a sudden they're beginning to do chores. Yesterday when I was working on Latham's car, I was going to wash it and vacuum it, and then I thought, I've got a teenager at home. Uh, why am I paying to wash and vacuum that car? So I went, those of you who've had teenagers, you know that's what we do. But So I went home and, and got Lydia to, to wash Latham's car. Um, it was a chore. But you know what? As they grow older and they begin to take on those chores, they begin to make good grades, they begin to be polite when we're out in public. I did put the distinction there. We put when they be, she gets to choose what she wants to eat for breakfast. Uh, she gets to pick the clothes that she wants to wear in moderation. Um, but privilege comes with responsibility. This is, this is a scriptural part of the exchange that we're paid for the work of those that we employ. And then the fourth avenue of exchange is you're paid for the investment of your money. Now some of you go, okay, well, all the rest of it I've liked, but now this is ridiculous because I don't, there's no way. I'm, money is so tight. Now you're just talking to the wind. Stick with me for a minute because this is really where it gets interesting. It's in, Deut in Deuteronomy 28, look at what it says. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. Now, some translations will say store. Your basket and your store will be blessed. And then in Deuteronomy 28, 8, it says this. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns, on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's given you. God... God has a promise that he will bless you. You are an active participant. I invite you this morning to think about what you're doing 
to create a barn and a store. I'll give you an exercise. If you sit here today and you go, okay, I don't, I don't really have any investments. Or you can go home and teach this to your children, to your grandchildren, anybody. who Go home and take $5. And put $5 in an envelope somewhere in your house that you're not going to spend. Don't touch it. And then in a couple of days, find another $5 and put it in that envelope. Just begin to do that. Do you know what you just created? A barn, a store, a storehouse. What does God say he will do? God says he will bless your barn. Now, what most people do is most people say, well, I'm going to wait, and when God starts blessing me, then I'm going to save. Then I'll pay off my debt. Folks, that is not what God teaches us. God says you start when you have nothing. You start your generosity when you have nothing. Now, again, I told you, I don't think that you miraculously are going to have money put in that envelope. You're not going to walk in there, and all of a sudden, you're just going to have thousands of dollars in this envelope. But what I believe God does is God begins to change the way you think. God begins to make you stop and go, well, maybe I don't need to stop at Starbucks. Maybe I don't need that right now. And God blesses you in a different way. And all of a sudden you start asking questions of, do I, do I need to really buy that right now? Can, can that not wait? Jesus says this in that same parable that we looked at when the worker went away and left his money, or the, the, the business owner went away and left his money. In Matthew 25, 27, he says this, Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. In other words, Jesus endorses saving money, drawing interest. God wants to bless us, but folks, we are bound to debt. As a nation and as a people, we're bound to it, and it's killing us. It's robbing us of the joy that God created for us. Do you realize, just listen to these statistics. The average American has $15,159 in credit card debt, $146,000 in mortgage debt, and $31,000 in student loan debt. And I ask you, is that God's fault? Or is that an example of us literally buying into a culture, buying into a philosophy Folks, this is not the way that God desires for us to live. We need to make decisions. Every single one of us needs to make decisions today to give up something that we love for something that we love even more. To give up something we love for something that we love even more. I want to show you a video. This is a sermon series to me that is extremely practical. And I want to show you a video that could potentially blow you away. Now, you may be sitting here today, and you are completely debt-free. And if you are, you need to be praising God. Because the average American lives in $15,159 in credit card debt, $31,000 in student loan debt, $139,000 in mortgage debt. So you may be sitting here debt-free. Show this video to somebody. Because I promise you, it can help you release the idea 
of being bound to debt. Y'all check out what's called the debt snowball video. Y'all look at this. When I was a kid growing up, I used to love being out in the snow, playing in it, having snowball fights, building snowmen, whatever. Now, as any kid can tell you, there are two ways to build a snowman. You can grab handfuls of snow, build him from the ground up like a nincompoop, or you can roll a small snowball around the yard, and before you know it, voila, snow torso, then lather, rinse, repeat, and add two sticks and a carrot. Dave Ramsey's philosophy of the debt snowball works on the same principle. You can try to eliminate your debt handfuls at a time, or you can allow your debt payments to snowball and you can beat your debt down like that pleated high water wearing clarinet player after gym class. Here's how it works. Step one is to find $200 in your budget that isn't designated for anything. How will you find $200? That's entirely up to you. Sell something, sell anything you don't need, like your weightlifting set or your monogram Paula Deen diabetes baking kit. Maybe you need to eliminate your cable TV, dining out, or your 450 a day morning dose of price gouging, disappointingly tasteless caffeine. Now that you have that, your next step is to list all your debts in increasing order of how much you owe. In this example, we have 450 owed to Lowe's for the new grill that you just had to have. 650 for Target for your shoes, your belt, and your purse, the essential matching set, and your flat screen TV. Then there's a $1,600 you owe to your parents for that time your transmission went out on your sweet vintage 98 Accord, and so on. Make a list of all the debts you have, lowest to highest. The next step is where the snowball starts. We're going to pay the minimum payment on all the debts for now, except the one with the smallest balance. For the Lowe's card, we'll pay the minimum payment of $50 plus the $200 that we found. So guess what? After two months of paying $250, your Lowe's debt is gone. Next, we'll take that $250 you were paying Lowe's and snowball into the minimum payment of your Target card. So now we are paying $280 a month and after a couple more months, just like magic, your Target card is paid off. You continue this process each time, snowballing your old payments into your new payments like Buddy the Elf. And before long, all your debts are gone. Now, an important thing to note is that during this process, you have to keep the snowball rolling for it to work. So no matter how much you love that new Urban Outfitters overpriced dress or the toolbox, or that new TV to replace the one you smashed in in a fit of anger after stupid Kobe missed that stupid game-winning free throw after, oh my goodness, why do the Lakers suck so bad this year? You have to wait. The debt snowball is the fastest, most effective way to tackle a lot of debt and pay it off quickly. Using the examples we had, if you were to pay the minimum balance on all the loans you had, it would take you 120 months before the debt was paid. That is 10 years. 10 years of playing Jean Valjean to the bank's inspector Javert. But if you use the debt snowball, you can have all these debts paid off in just 21 months. That's less than two years. That's 99 more months of freedom. And additionally, if you take that $1,100 that you were snowballing and invest it at 8% interest for those 99 months, you'd have $153,000. So let's do this like Pastor used to do. Take the debt, roll it up, and smoke it. I told you this is a sermon series that is extremely practical, but I promise you as people of God, it's one of the, the potentially one of the most profound sermon series that we could actually live out. 
as people of God because we are so bound to financial debt. And God calls us to live entirely different. And a couple of tools that I want to give you. Um, one is in January. I believe the church has already done this before, but we're going to do it again for many of you who didn't get an opportunity to do it or you did it, you lost it, and now you need to come back. Um, we're going to do a small group that's called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. Uh, and so one challenge you can do is you can begin to start thinking, okay, in January, whenever that class is, I'm going to do that class. Or you've got a child or grandchild, you can recommend that they take that class. Now you can stop and go, yeah, but that's just not a really good time of the year. You're the active participant. You're the one who has to take the responsibility to be able to, to, to work and do the things that you need to do for that avenue of exchange. So that's one. Now the second one you're going to think is I'm absolutely crazy. That's okay. Um, Christmas Eve. We're going to take a Christmas Eve offering. I want to encourage you for Christmas Eve to let's show our generosity. See, the reality is I want you to understand the kids that we fed, the, the bags that we collected last week, if y'all were here, it was, it was amazing, the, the bags of food that was everywhere. It would feed the kids for about a week and a half. So all of that food, as glorious as it was, there's still 30-something other weeks that those kids are hungry. Um, the kids that get snack packs, they, they get those snacks every other week. There's ministries that go on with the football team that, that, that we want to be able to minister to. Um, all of these are things in ministry, things that, that take place on and every, in and every week. And so we want to show our generosity so that we can continue to do the things in the community that God calls us to do. And so I'm going to challenge every family. Whatever you budget for Christmas, you bring that on Christmas Eve. Whatever you budget for Christmas, you bring this equal offering on Christmas Eve. Now you may stop and think, well, I, I, I hadn't planned on that. Um, crazy idea. 